and welcome to Four Points Online. We are so honored that you are joining us today. And if God is using this ministry to change your life, please let us know at fourpoints.org slash my story. It is because of your generosity that we are able to expand the kingdom. And if you would like to give and be a part of what God is doing, then visit fourpoints.org and select the safe and secure option, or you can download our app and choose to give there as well. Again, we are so excited to get ready to hear a powerful message from God's Word. Blessings to you. So in this series, Throat Punch, we're in week three. Um, week one, we talked about stress or anxiety. Week two, Pastor Stephen preached on shame, and it was very, very good. Um, I hope y'all heard it, but if you didn't, go back and listen to it because it was excellent. And today, I'm just telling y'all right now, I got a word for you, so I hope y'all are ready to listen. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you didn't say ready, you're rebuked. Just kidding. In Jesus' name. But I want to tell you why I love this series, and then we're going to rock and roll. I love this series because this defines my personality type, y'all. Because I am an aggressive human being. I know some of y'all, I see some of y'all, and I know the ones that I don't know, I love you, but with the love of the Lord. But some of y'all are like real laid back and you're not aggressive. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. I hope you can take something away from this. I believe you can. But for those of you that are kind of aggressive like me, this is going to fit because I just love the idea of throat punching. <laughs> Nobody else. Praise the Lord. It feels good. So week three, we're talking about comparison. And let me tell you who this message is for, who compares, who deals with comparison in their life. Everybody. In the club getting tips. Everybody. Shannon heard it, the only person. Everybody deals with comparison, every single person. And watch this. If you're sitting in your seat and you say, I don't deal with comparison, then you're the one that I need to add lying to. Come on. <laughs> right? Now, you may not live 24-7 with comparison being a problem, but most of us, most of us, I'm not even going to say a week. I think that's nearly impossible to go a week without comparing yourself or things or stuff, whatever, in your life. Most of us deal with this every single day of our lives, and there's a reason that we deal with it. And I believe that this is why this, the title of the message, by the way, it's Under the Curse. So, the title of my message is The Comparison Curse, and I need y'all to know that this is a curse that we all deal with in our lives every single day. Comparison is not fun because it is impossible to go through your life and enjoy it and constantly compare yourself to other people. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. yes. But we all do it. But we all do it. And the issue is, the issue is, the goal is that we are content, that we, that we find satisfaction in Jesus, and that, and that it's just good stuff, right? And we can just look out. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4, I've, I've learned how to live with much and with little, and I'm, and I'm content. I've really learned how to do this thing. And that's awesome, and it preaches really good. But when I'm sitting in my seat and someone gets up here and preaches good, I'm shouting them down, but I'm thinking to myself, watch, I wonder if they think he's better than me. I know it's quiet. But whatever you do, like we love to quote, do is, 
do heartily as unto the Lord, as long as it's not better than mine. <laughs> right? That's the gospel according to Mark Pangle, not... <laughs> because at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that I do good enough so that, that he's happy with me and that y'all think I'm good at it. But the problem is, what Paul has in contentment cannot coexist in my life if I'm full of comparison. Comparison and contentment cannot live together. It is impossible for them to live together. Why? Why can this not happen? It's because my identity begins to be defined in comparison. Watch this. I, I think this is fascinating, and I, I didn't make this up. This is literally what the word means in the original language and in the English language definition. It means that I begin to define myself or things as inferior or superior in everything, everything. No matter how much or how little, it doesn't matter. I start comparing, comparing, comparing. By the way, side note, I didn't even say this in the last service, so you're welcome. You get a little bit more. This is where competition comes in. And there is good competition, by the way. Clemson, Carolina, not good competition right now. <laughs> I rebuke that competition. <laughs> Lord willing, it's going to be again soon. But <laughs> I don't think this year. <laughs> don't tell nobody. But, but, but there is, there, there, there's healthy, good competition. Sports is a good thing until it defines who you are. But most of the time, what the competition in our lives, and it's, a, it's like a twin sister of comparison, is it's because I can't be satisfied with what you've got, so I've got to compare myself 24-7 to where you are, what you've got. So I then define myself as either superior or inferior to you because let's be real. Most of us, if we'd be honest with ourselves, wouldn't say we're about the same. With almost anybody. We don't even think that way. That's not even, it's not even the realm. Oh, we'll preach till the cows come home. Jesus loves everybody the same. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Until they do something I don't like. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? And it's equal opportunity. For me, it's equal opportunity. I compare myself with everyone and everything a lot of times. Because I just want to be defined as doing a good job. I have this big personality that wants to win, that wants to go. And so it's hard for me to celebrate people, especially, watch this, in the same line of work as me or that I run with. Because do y'all know the people? Oh, I love Jesus. <laughs> y'all are gonna, Some of y'all are never going to come back after this message. Y'all know that there's those certain people that, like, like, it seems like their whole life is just together. Like they live it on social media, and when they do the little Instagram stories, they have 700 every day. It, it takes, like, I got to keep pushing this button. You just flip it. I can't keep going. This person has too much good going on in their life. Link, click, click. And it's like they meet with somebody crazy awesome every day. And it's like, Jesus, I'm here, and I'm doing this for you. <laughs> do you see me? Does nobody know what I'm talking about in here? And when you hear, now, now don't lie to me, because I need y'all's help in here. When you hear that something bad happens to them, do you not silently, now publicly, 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 we, we put out stuff like praying for you. Come on now. But silently we do this. You're driving so no one can see your right hand. Praying for them, Lord. <laughs> right, because they're superior to me. When I compare myself 
And I need them to be at the very least the same as me because I'm me, right? You should love me. And it's sad because it's a cycle. You know, this cycle is the cycle that I think most of us never find ourselves off of till we die. There's a lot of cycles that we can stop. But I feel like the Lord showed me some things this week. Number one, this isn't notes, so if you want to take them, that's cool, whatever. But hopefully you'll remember this. I believe this is where gossip comes from because otherwise, why would you gossip about people? I believe this is where envy comes from because otherwise, why would you be envious? If they got it, they got it. Praise God. That's cool. That's theirs. That's not mine. I don't need it. But it's not enough to say, I'll use the Bible term, do not covet. I do covet all the time. And covet comes from compare. Not literally, so don't try to look it up and think that it's going to come from that, right? But it comes from a heart that constantly compares myself or things, constantly superior, inferior. Your boat's bigger, I need a bigger boat. Your house is nicer, I need another house. And it makes us crazy, y'all. And here's what the Apostle Paul said, y'all. This is so fascinating. Paul, who penned like almost half the, the New Testament, talks about comparison directly in chapter 10 of, of verse, or excuse me, in chapter I messed it up. In chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians 2, he, he literally talks about it. And listen, Christians, I'm going to talk to you for just a second, but stay with me. If you don't know Jesus in this room, stay with me. Listen to me. This defines the church. This defines the capital C church as well as anything I've ever seen. This is unbelievable because watch, and I'm talking about today's church, not 2,000 years ago's church. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, talking to these people that are new Christians that don't know a ton about Jesus, and, and they've already started this game. He says they compare themselves to one another and make up their own standards. Who? Well, bless God, I don't do that. You just did. Got them, right? <laughs> to measure themselves by. Y'all, think about this. Think about this. I take so much time making sure that I do a good enough job preaching and I think I should do it as heartily as unto the Lord. I should do the best that I can do every week. But that's not the standard I'm grading myself by. The standard I'm grading myself by is did I do better than them? Standard I grade myself by is did y'all think it was good? And not did I do my very best as unto the Lord? So no matter how much I talk about doing your best, doing your best, doing your best, this becomes my own standard, and then when I don't meet it, I beat myself up. Am I talking to anybody in this room right now? And then, see, I, don't, I think the first part's not good. I think the second part's where we get in trouble. Because it's, it says, and then we judge ourselves by our own standards. Right? What self-delusion? Paul went and called us out, Right? What self-delusion? I'm going to give you some examples just because I want to. We live in the southeastern United States. I don't know if y'all know that. <laughs> Welcome if you're not from here. <clears throat> in the southeast, depending on the denomination that you grew up in, beer, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Everybody else is like, should I, should I laugh because he just said it. He said that magic word. It's okay to laugh, right? It's one of those things. Beer, beer is a standard that we have set that, watch this, this is so fascinating. If you go into different parts of our country, it's not a standard in Christianity the way it is here. 
And if you walk into certain churches, some of which I grew up in, but don't, I'm, I'm not calling my church out that I grew up in. I'm just saying like certain places, we, we preached against it and charged it. Y'all, I did a, I did a, um, I think it was my sophomore year in college. I did a, um, my mind just went completely blank. <laughs> I did a speech. How funny is that, that I'm talking about a speech and I went blank? Minus one on the speech. I did a speech on why Christians shouldn't drink. And I put all my energy behind the fact that I thought it was bad, alcohol in general. Okay? Now listen to me. Drunkenness is a sin. You cannot argue that. It's, it's a theme throughout Scripture. But a beer is a standard that we set, and I started feeling better about myself. And I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about any of y'all. But we live in the Southeast, so y'all talk to me. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. We started feeling better about ourselves, so we said, Austin can never love Jesus as much as me because he drinks beer and I don't. I'm superior to you. Now, never mind the fact that I've slept with 13 women. I, I have not. <laughs> Jesus, name. I don't even know what that crossing stuff does, but I just did it. Thank God Leah's not in this service. <laughs> but do y'all know what I mean? We make these standards that we find more important than others. And it's interesting because Paul, who's, who's talking to non-Jewish people in this context, like us, they came up in Acts 15 and in, and in another place you can read it in Romans where they said, basically, if you're not Jewish, do not commit sexual immorality and do not worship idols is how I'll summarize it, which is big. It's a lot bigger than we think it is. But as soon as I start making new standards that are not biblically found, I've all of a sudden said, this is the point. I'm a better Christian than you. I'm a better Christian than you. I can do this better. I can preach better. And, and better was never God's purpose for my life. That, that's not in there. I mean, you can look all you want. Abundant in there. Blessed in there. Better than others. Curse. Curse. And as long as I'm living under the curse, I'll do everything the curse demands. I'll kill under the curse. Can I show it to you in the Bible? The answer is yes, because I have the microphone. Here we go. The comparison curse. One more time, y'all say curse. It's a curse, y'all. It's bigger than just something we do. I'm going to say something that might make you uncomfortable, but it's cool if it does. This is spiritual battle. This is, this is flesh, not against flesh. This is spirit battling spirit. The reason that you've never been able to stop gossiping or comparing yourself is not because you haven't wanted to. You've wanted to. But because you've never surrendered this area of your life under the lordship of Jesus. And you've tried to beat it by doing better. And I'm just telling y'all something. We can't do good enough when it's a spiritual battle or when it's any battle for that matter. But especially when it's spirit. Genesis chapter 3. If we're going to talk about the curse, we got to go back and look at the actual curse. How did the curse take place? God told Adam, you have all this. This whole beautiful garden is yours. You get to walk with me. You get freely. It's amazing. Look at all this stuff. Don't eat of this one tree. Guess what they did? Hey, David. Wrong with people. Except I do the same thing every day. Don't worry about that. Then, then after the fall happened, this is what God literally spoke to Adam. Watch this. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. That's what he told him. Don't eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Oops. 
Now that's weird. Why didn't he curse? Why didn't he curse Adam? Right there, he said, the ground is cursed. Hmm. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, I'm going to show you a slide in just a couple seconds that shows you this specifically, but I want you to think about this. Prior to the curse, there were trees all throughout the garden. At least that's how it's described. We're not obviously sure what it looks like, but we know this. God provided, listen carefully, do not miss this. If you miss this, you'll miss the point. God provided every single thing they would ever need. They did not have to work for anything. The work they had was to speak and to do what the Father told them, what God told them to do. But, but sweating and getting after it and all this stuff, that was not their life. They got to look up for anything that they needed. And I'm literally meaning trees right at this moment. And they could just pick it. It was right there for their taking. But as soon as they sinned, thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of plants of the field. Where are thorns and thistles and plants found? Say it loud. On the ground. So instead of looking up to get what they needed, they now had to look down. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the... Huh. So he's pointing out to Adam here who, it appears, never had to die. At this time, you're going to die spiritually, or you are dead spiritually, but you're also going to literally go back to where you came from. Because Adam came from... Breathing in the dirt. And he said, you're going to get to go back home where it's cursed. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to the dust you shall return. Now, can, I, I need to move on, but I just got to tell you what's so interesting about this. I've never thought about this before. Do you know the temptation that Satan gave uh, Eve? in particular about Adam and Eve, the temptation was comparison. The temptation was, have you ever tried to compare yourself to God? He doesn't want you to know what he knows. Surely he won't kill you. Surely it won't be bad. And he, and he snuck in just a little bit of manipulation with comparison because, y'all, that's what we become when we live under comparison as manipulators. We're not Satan. We're not Adam and Eve. But it's interesting that the temptation that snuck into his life wasn't meth. I'm not trying to be funny right now. I'm saying, I'm saying it was comparison. And then once that sneaks in, who knows where all I'll go. Because whenever I'm living under the curse, I find my value in what I do. I find my value in the ground. I'm going to preach some more on this, but y'all got to get this. Everything about me then becomes how much of this did I get? How much of this do I have? How big is my, how much is my 401k? And there's nothing wrong with any of those things until it's how I define myself, until I find my value in these things. And under the curse, I have to look down to find any of my stuff. But listen to me, I believe this with every fiber of my being. If we walk out from under the curse, we get to look up like they did before the curse. And it's not the same look up because we're not looking at the trees. We're looking at a different kind of tree. Whew, I'm about to preach real good. But I'm going to let you hang for a minute on that one. Now, let me show you what happened 
in the very next chapter when it comes to the ground and when it comes to a picture of what it looks like to not live under comparison. Like that's the goal, right? That we don't live under the curse of comparison. It says that Abel, who were the first sons of Adam, Abel and, and Cain, it says Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a worker of, y'all say it? Huh. Now this is not a message about every single person should be a shepherd because <laughs> that would be weird. I don't even know if we have any sheep around here, right? <laughs> but from a, from a picture perspective, from what I believe the intention actually is for us to get to, my gosh, does this define every person under the sound of my voice? Because we're either going to be defined as someone who does what Jesus said to do and keep the sheep or someone that takes as much ground as they can. Y'all, I got to... In that verse that I mentioned while I was out here talking during worship, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. Y'all, the word power literally translates the army you can amass. The army that I can amass on my own. Do you know as a pastor, every single day of my life, I have to, I, I like to think of myself as a keeper of the sheep, but the reality is I look at how much I've amassed. God, today we did real good. It was almost, we almost had to set chairs out in the first service. There were so many people. Look how good we did. We're amassing a big army that we're going to do something awesome for you. Yeah, but did you keep the sheep? And every day we, we decide in our own hearts is what I do and how much I get, is it enough? Because when it's not enough, I start comparing myself. I start getting angry that you get more ground than I do. So what do we do? We try to make up for lost time and, and take some of the ground back by any means necessary. And we'll do things that we never would dream of. Even if it's not literal, we'll do things that we would never dream of as a result. Can I show you what they did? It says, in the course of time, Cain brought the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. I believe this is a picture. I literally believe he brought an offering of the fruit of the ground in this, in this story. But I believe for us, we could take an application that this is us bringing God some of our stuff. Everybody say stuff. stuff. And telling God, look, you should be proud of what I'm bringing you. But Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. He bought the best part of what he had and wasn't worried about impressing God with his stuff. And the Lord had regard, this is crazy, for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. You know what the tendency is when we read stuff like this? It's to look and say, all right, so I guess, I guess it's because Cain brought the right thing or the wrong thing and he should have done more and he should have touched his nose five times and then his hat and it probably was 10% off the gross and it should have been off the net or vice versa and like he, he didn't think through this whole thing and you know I, I find some things real fascinating in this story because immediately Cain knew that God showed Abel regard that he that he that he he loved where his heart was, and he got angry. Do y'all know this story? He got angry. 
and he killed his brother. I believe in my heart that moments before this, it wasn't in his mind to kill him, but it was in his heart the whole time because he lived under comparison. And a lot of times what we think to ourselves is, don't we say stuff like this? I wasn't even thinking about that. But you don't have to think about it for it to be there already if you're living under the curse 24-7. And under the curse, what we think to ourselves is, I got to do better. I must have to find some more stuff to give to God. It must not be quite enough. If I give God a little bit more, maybe he'll be happy with me. If I mass a bigger army, maybe God will be happy with me. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. I need God to like me. God must like him more because <laughs> we think this because he's got better sheep. He's got better stuff. He's more blessed in his life. I'm inferior to him. Now the rest of them, praise God, they're inferior to me. And something has to shift in our lives. I find a couple verses so fascinating. I didn't put them on here, but I can just tell them to you. Verse 9 says, God went to Cain and said, where's your brother? And he's like, I'm not my brother's keeper. I've said that before about my sisters to my mom, but y'all don't quote me. It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not my sister's keeper. That was when I was in trouble, just like Cain. He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And he says to him, I hear his blood crying out from the ground. I've never really paid attention to that verse other than reading through it until this week when I realized that this is cursed and it's screaming. Romans says this, that it cries out in agony because it falls under the curse. And there was an Abel that came, literally, and his blood spilled and it cried out for justice. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 says that when Jesus' blood was spilled on the mercy seat, his blood was like Abel's, but he's the true and perfect Abel. Listen to me. Because his blood screams and cries out forgiveness. It's literally what it says in the verse. And that's crazy, y'all. Because life is found in the blood. And it dropped to the ground. Is that not crazy? It dropped to the ground. Now, I wanted to point those out to y'all because I thought it was so cool that they're in there. But in order to reverse the curse, I believe something else has to take place. Jesus has done everything that he's got to do. It's us that have missed the point. So listen to me. I'm going to close in just a couple minutes, but I really need y'all to lean in. I think I've seen every person in the room nod a little bit. Even if you don't like me or you don't like this message, I think you've leaned in a little bit and you've understood what it's like to compare. But now I want to give you a biblical example of someone that I can relate to completely that I think ties in so perfectly with this story. Because there was this dude named Peter in the Bible who was one of the 12 disciples. He was probably the leader of all the disciples from what we under, excuse me, understand. The alpha, the oldest guy. And Peter, I recognize so much of me and him because Peter did things that I do. I say stuff like, Jesus, I'm never going to mess up again. 
I'm really going to do the best that I can do. I'm never going to mess up again. And then I beat myself up so bad when I mess up. Not only do I mess up, but I mess up in the thing that I said I'd never mess up again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Jesus' name. Man, I understand what it's like to be him. I'm not him by any stretch of the imagination, but I can understand. And I can't imagine sitting where Peter sat the night that they went to this place on Mount Zion called the Upper Room, and they had this Last Supper. And they're sitting around, and Jesus says, one of y'all will betray me. And I know Peter was sitting in there going, I will shank the person that is going to betray Jesus tonight. (laughs) I'm going to do whatever it takes. You're not going to betray my Jesus. And he meant it. And then when Judas got called out and left, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. This is the part of this story that I don't like and this message that I don't like because when it comes to comparison, you might deny Jesus, but I never will. That ain't going to happen. I'm Mark. I will stand. If God gives me a word, I will never leave or forsake. I am going to do this thing. We will. And y'all, this is me. I look myself in the mirror and I speak life over my life. I will never. I will do that. I will follow you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. If you say it, I'll do it. But you know what? I'm a sinner no different than Peter. Sometimes worse. And the moment that Peter said I never would was the moment that he stepped into it. You know what I mean? That night. So we're not talking about like 24 days later. Probably two hours passed. Jesus being, he's arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, taken up to the house of Caiaphas. And this is all like in a straight line that takes place in Jerusalem. I I can take y'all there when y'all come with me sometime. You can picture this place that they're having this fire. And people are sitting around wondering what this Jesus dude is all about. And three different conversations take place, three different ways. And they say, do you know, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? I don't know him. He curses. I don't know him. I don't know who that is. And the third time that he denied him, watch this, Jesus, who's being beaten and tried illegally and it's awful, walks out, the rooster crows, and then with compassion, the Bible gives us the description. Like he, it gives us the idea that Jesus didn't look at him with condemnation, but with compassion, which I believe is worse, y'all. Like, in that moment, it would feel better if it was, I caught you, you're bad. But for him to be nice is worse. And then Peter does what any of us, I believe, would do. In shame, he runs off. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, Peter was one of the first cats that were in there, right? The Bible told it almost looks like a race when they were going back in. And Peter was celebrating like crazy with John and with the other disciples, But then he did what is only natural to do, and I need some people to really listen to me right now because I feel like this is for somebody, and it might be several somebodies. He went back to doing what he did before he screwed up. Am I talking to anybody in this room that went back to doing what you did before you screwed up because you thought you were disqualified the day that you screwed it up? You thought that your definition and, and the standard that you had to live by was based on that you never messed it up? 
Am I talking to anybody in here that looks at your life and says, God can never greatly use me because I messed this thing up? I don't know if I am or not, but I believe I probably am. And he went back and he was fishing again. And he was fishing with all of the disciples who were fishermen. And, and they were fishing all night and they didn't catch anything. And then for the second time, because we know this isn't the first encounter, in John 21, Jesus screams out to them from the shore, throw it to the other side. And they did, and they caught a miraculous catch where the boat was almost sinking. And Peter recognizes that it's Jesus on the shore after the miraculous catch. And I feel like if we could have been there, it would have been, if y'all are old enough to remember this movie, it would have been Lieutenant Dan is on the shore, and he gets out, hat still in hand, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company boat going by, Forrest Gump swimming to the side, because it makes it appear like that's what happened. Because he still had his clothes on, and he goes to the side, and Jesus asked the most interesting question in this moment. Listen to me. He did not say, why aren't you doing all these? Everybody say things. Why aren't you doing all these things? Why'd you get these things wrong? What is wrong with you, Peter? Why are you going back to these things? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? All the things that I say, even sometimes to the people that I do life with, but definitely to myself. He asked one thing. Do you love me, Peter? You know I do, Lord. God, I'm going to preach right now. Feed my Mm. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my lambs. Tend to them. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Follow the example that I have. I've, I've laid out the example. You are not me. Abel was not Jesus. Jesus is the true and perfect Abel. He, he shows us the picture of how to have freedom. The blood that was spilled there is to show us the blood that was going to be spilled. Well, I got good news for somebody in here. The curse existed until the day that Jesus shed his blood. Not the day that he came, that's when it started, but the day that he shed his blood and got up from death. That's when the curse was broken. That's when the veil was torn. That's when our opportunity was taken away from no longer, listen to me, no longer having to be under the curse of comparison. For the rest of our lives looking around saying, will I ever get enough? God, will I ever do enough? Now, do y'all remember at the beginning of the message what people still do and had to do once the curse happened? Where did they have to go to find their stuff? Where did they have to go to find their food? They had to look down. And what provided food before Jesus or before the sin came? What, where did they find all their food? Do y'all remember this? Where did they find all their food from? From trees. They looked up. From trees, I got something to show y'all. Galatians chapter 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse. Woo! This is good right here. Of the law by becoming a curse for us. How do we reverse the curse? He became the curse. I can never do enough to stop being whatever I am. I can never try hard enough to stop being an alcoholic. I can never try hard enough to not be this. I can never try hard enough to not be addicted to sexual things. I can never try hard enough not to be in bondage to comparison. But Jesus became a curse because it's written, oh my gosh, is this not good? Cursed is anyone and everyone, excuse me, who is hanged on a tree. So how did Jesus reverse the curse? He went, y'all say it, he went up. 
and, and, and where we used to look for in, in trees, if, if Adam had never sinned, we could just walk through life and look up and pick what we need from a tree. But we did sin. And every single one of us, like Adam, choose to sin. But because of our sin, he became our sin so that we could look up. Everything that I'll ever need, I just have to look up. But most of us define ourselves by looking down. Most of us define ourselves with how much did I get. Most of us define ourselves with how good did I do. Most of us define ourselves like a cat with an owner that goes up to his owner and says, look, I got you another mouse. I did it. I did it again, God. Look, I preached two more times this Sunday. Aren't you proud of me? Yo, this feels like I'm giving you my life story. God, aren't you proud of me? Look, I did good again. And he said, no. That's not the point. As long as performance is how I define myself, then I can never, ever, ever live outside of the curse because performance equals curse. But pleasure in Christ, that equals contentment. When I know that he's pleased with me because I'm his son. You know what the Bible says that's crazy about pleasure? The Bible says it pleased God to bruise his own son. Why? Because he knew that he had sons and daughters that were to stop themselves to people and live under they could never do it. There's, there's no possible way they could ever make it happen. But he also knew this, that his son was perfect and that he would become flesh full of grace and full of truth, we would see his glory. And now we get to see it in every single person that's a follower of Jesus. We get to see a little picture through the Holy Spirit of what he looked like and how he went. I'm not talking about physical features. I'm talking spiritually speaking. And when we submit completely under him, we stop the curse of comparison. We stop envy. Gossip goes away. But if we just try harder, then we'll leave here and say to ourselves, I'm not going to do that crap anymore. And guess what we'll do before we get home? Do it again because we fall under the curse. So let me tell you the point for your life. Let me summarize it very simply. This has nothing to do with being a pastor. This has, to do, this has to do with being a follower of Jesus. I have specific callings and standards that God set for a pastor. But my calling is not greater than the call to be a follower of Jesus. And the purpose is to tend and love the sheep. To show each person where we live, work, and play what it means to love God. What it means to fall under his lordship. What it means to be one of his and to not have to compare myself with how good did you do, but realize that he's defined me as one of his, that I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm a peculiar people set apart, that I'm made in his image and I get to do exactly what God tells me to do, that he's the only one that can define me. And for the rest of my life, I don't have to compare, am I doing enough for them to think that I'm good, but I can just say, God, there's no comparison to your love. I choose to walk with you. He's all about one thing for you. Do you love me? because I loved you first. Do you love me? Because I love you. Comparison is broken 
under the power of the shed blood of Jesus and a love relationship walking with him. Watch this, and that's it. And I'm asking some of y'all to put the mice down <laughs> that you're trying to bring to God and show him how good you're doing and stand up and say, I'm righteous because you are righteous and you became my sin. I'm right because you became my curse. And I'm good because you are good and you're living in me. And that's it. The only reason that I have life is because he gave me his life. And today I choose to just submit myself fully to you and walk wherever you say go. I choose pleasure and delight in Jesus' name, not do and perform. And I feel like I've been talking to some people in this room today, so here's how I want to close. If you don't have an intimacy with God, meaning you've said, Jesus, I want to marry you, spiritually speaking. I want to say you are my Lord and I am yours for the rest of my life. Watch this. I love you back. I believe you did everything you said you did and you died for my sin. You became it so that I could be yours. And I want to give you my life right now. I believe that if you declare that and you mean it in your heart, you're saved that instant. And we want to celebrate with you and walk with you. And so I want to give you that opportunity right now. And for the Christians, I want to give you an opportunity as well. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? I want to know who is it in this room. Come on. I believe there's people all in this room that need to say, for the first time, I'm going to start an intimacy and a love relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to say yes to him because I already did it in my heart. I've never had a love relationship, but I'm doing it right now. If that's you, just throw your hand up wherever you are. Come on. I believe there's people in here and you know who you are. Don't you let anything hold you back. I'm ready to start a love relationship with him right where I am. I'm ready to begin something brand new. This isn't about what I do. It's about what he did. And I'm ready to begin that right now. If that's you, just throw your hand up and wave it at me. Wave it at me right now. Thank you. Who else? Who else? I'm ready to start a love relationship with you right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We are celebrating with you, sir. Can I talk to everybody else in the room? I believe that the vast majority of people in this room struggle with comparison. And I believe there's some people in this room that need to do business with God. Shannon picked a song for us that I think is perfect. It's Break Every Chain. Y'all, this is bondage. This is massive chains that have been over our lives for generations, quite honestly. You know what the Bible says, that in the kingdom there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, that in the eyes of the Lord we're one and that there's no need for comparison. Let's break that chain today under the power and the name of Jesus, under his shed blood. By just saying, yes, Lord, we submit fully to your Lordship. We respond to you. And listen to me, if you need to respond, our prayer team's going to meet right here or at the back. And I just want y'all to have an opportunity to just move, just respond. Because I believe that you know if you've lived under the, the tyranny of the curse of comparison. Don't do it anymore. Don't let anything keep you back. You move. So Jesus, we come to you right now. We know the altar isn't a physical place, but it's the place where the worshiper and God meet. And so, Lord, we choose this warehouse that we worship in every week to let this be the altar that alters our life and will never be the same because of Jesus. And so, Lord, change our hearts and our minds. We come to you. So break every chain in Jesus' name. Everybody said.
Amen. Y'all stand and sing with us.